in the case where Kemba does miss maybe half a series, a little more than that, like Gordon Hayward needs to step up and he showed his ability to run an offense with Utah. So I know he can do it. I think, especially in the fourth quarter, when the game is starting to tighten and you can feel that, that palpable tension in the air, Luka just isn't the same player. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Locked In Podcast. My name is Ani. My name is Shree. We got a great episode here for you today. The NBA is finally back, and we've seen some great action over the last few days. The The play in the bubble is absolutely outstanding, and I think it's been great. We're going to talk in-depth about that. We're also going to do a quick runover of the MLB, which is also back, talk a little bit about news and the MLB. So let's go start with that. Shri, you want to take the lead on that one? Yeah, so before we get into the actual gameplay for Major League Baseball, there have been two separate incidents regarding COVID and baseball. One is that 17 Miami Marlins players and staff were tested positive for the coronavirus, and the St. Louis Cardinals, if I'm not mistaken, are currently quarantined in Philadelphia because a decent number of of people on the team did contract the virus so that's two organizations with significant outbreak statistics and obviously MLB didn't do the bubble all the players and teams are traveling and it's kind of like a a do your part type of thing rather than consistent everyday rigorous testing that the NBA bubble has so I'm curious as to see how this is going to play out the rest of the season yeah definitely I think complex sports which isn't the most reliable of sources, but they were reporting earlier today that both the the Cardinals and the Marlins went to either a casino or a club. I think one of them went to a casino, one of them went to a club. So it seems like these teams weren't necessarily following protocol. And I think some people said, you know, when you have a bunch of young millionaires, you'd think they're going to sit at home all day and then just go to the ballpark and come back. Like, no, of course not. They're going to go and live their lives. So I think obviously some protocol is going to be broken. Some people don't really like it, but the older players with families, I think they're fine with it, especially when they're playing at home. But these younger players that have a lot of money, they might not be okay with this. So definitely I think the one hard thing about being not in a bubble is accountability. You know, it's really easy to be accountable when you cannot leave. And when you do have to leave and you come back in, it's a 14 or 10 day quarantine as we saw with Lemon Pepper Lou. So (laughs) it's just really, really difficult. So I think, The one big thing about the MLB and whether the season will continue is how accountable will these players be to themselves, to their teams, to Major League Baseball, and to the fans. Because I think a lot of us have been enjoying watching the MLB, you know, turning on the TV on a Friday night or a Saturday afternoon or Sunday evening and seeing baseball happen as normal with, you know, maybe not fans or CGI fans like some broadcasts have and, you know, CGI fan noise or fake fan noise. But still, seeing baseball played at a pretty high level back to normal kind of feels good. I'm sure it feels great for the players. So we'll see if this continues. I know Robert Manfred and Major League Baseball have said that if there continue to be outbreaks on other teams, they have no choice but to postpone the season. So we'll see what happens with regards to that. Yeah, I think uh, 
The commissioner's office placed some sanctions on the Marlins in terms of when their season resumes. So currently they are not playing any games and I believe the Cardinals are not either. So those two teams are currently in pause, but the rest of baseball is going on as planned. And it is a little jarring when you look at the play and the telecast to just see no reactions when a bomb is hit. Like there's just no, it just feels weirder than watching a basketball game, right? Because Already the arena is pretty compact. You can still hear the benches screaming when like players hit threes and all the coaches are very vocal. The players are vocal. But baseball is kind of one of those sports where for one moment, it's just the pitcher and the batter and nothing else matters. And there's there's no communication. There's nothing else going on until the ball is in play. So from purely a fan's perspective, it is a little strange watching these games. But I can say the quality of play is obviously still the same. These are the best baseball players in the world. And... I'm going to speak on my A's for a minute. They're currently 5-4 and four in first place in the AL West, which I think this year is one of one of MLB's weakest divisions, right? Obviously, you have the Astros, the cheating Astros, the trash-banging Astros, who are perennially in the top three or four teams in Major League Baseball. But the A's are always just right there, right? They're, they're always contending for one of those wildcard spots because while they have probably one of the top five records in baseball for a couple of years they're just not good enough to be the division leader so I'm curious to see how their season plays out Matt Chapman's rounding into form Chris Davis just hit his first home run today uh, Matt Olson has been swinging the bat really well and Ramon Laureano is just proving to be a stud in the outfield so I'm pretty excited about the A's I know it's early season some people are getting out of slumps the pitchers are getting used to the swing of things at the rotation so yeah Ani, how about your Giants? Yeah, we are doing okay. We're 5-6. and six. We won most of the series against the Rangers. I think we won 2 out of 3 or 3 out of 3. I forget. But the Rangers kind of suck. So, you know, it's, it was it was really easy. Uh, but we, we won 2 of 4 against the Dodgers, which is really strange because the Dodgers are supposed to be the best team in, in the NL maybe. And... It's really, really weird. The, the Rockies are doing really well in the NL West. They're 7-2 and two right now, so we'll see about that. The The Giants have many a problem. Their pitching is inconsistent, especially in the bullpen. Uh, they have this one like, pitcher. Uh, I forgot his name. Uh, but he, like, throws, like, a sub, like a submarine that he throws sidearmed, like, sidearmed mm-hmm. underneath. And, like, he was really good one game, and then the other game he just, like, gave up five runs and... It was just was not like we're playing the Padres and it was like two two in the eighth and he, he you know shut shut the Padres out at the top of the ninth goes down to the bottom of the ninth oh sorry he shut the Padres out at the bottom of the eighth he goes to the top of the ninth or yeah goes to the sorry goes to the tenth I don't know what I'm saying he it goes to the tenth and he gives up five runs in the tenth so you know uh, pretty classic Giants stuff I think it's really difficult for the Giants to win when they're down this season is one noticed I mean like previous seasons. The Giants don't have great power hitting, uh, so it's difficult to come down when you're down, and especially for the Giants. Again, I think inconsistency is the biggest thing in the last few years I've noticed. And like, if you have a man on first or a man on first and second, like the Giants are really inconsistent. They can't get rallies going. So again, if they're down, it's really hard for them to score two, three, four runs in a single inning. And when they do, sometimes they'll come back the next inning and give up like two or three runs. And, and so just you know, it's just really, really. It's hard to have a gauge on the Giants. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just a really weird season, obviously. But I think especially for the Giants, no Buster Posey. So the catching game is honestly not as bad as, as I thought it would. But, you know, it is what it is. And our defense is okay. But when, you know, Kaplan takes 
uh, Brandon Crawford out, the the defense definitely suffers a little bit. Really strange season overall, but you know nothing I didn't expect. Although it is an even year, uh, don't we have any. Know, faith we in all know what that means. Even year, you're gonna win the World Series. <laughs> don't have any faith in the Giants this year. I think our team is pretty pretty terrible, but we do have some bright spots. You know, um, Ponce. Uh, yeah, Ponce, uh, the the guy who's supposed to whose name sounds like Pence but is not. It's like one letter difference, which is sorry, not 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 Ponce. We already have Hunter Pence. It's Trump is the guy we have. We have Trump. He's from the Dominican Republic. So we have we have Pence and we have Trump. So you know, instead of Trump Pence twenty twenty, it should be Trump Pence twenty twenty on the Giants. But he actually is doing pretty well. Um, he had a homer, uh, I think today or yesterday. So you know, doing well. Um, Yastrzemski is doing super well. He hit. Almost splash hit to win us the game a few days ago. Um, so doing super well. Yeah, I think Yastrzemski is definitely a bright spot for the Giants. I think he's actually playing super well in general. And so, yeah, again, a really not a good season, but nothing I don't expect from the Giants. Last thing I wanted to touch on for MLB before we go into our, our basketball portion of the episode, and that is the extra innings rule, where now whenever the game goes into extras, they just put a runner automatically on first. Now I don't I don't really like this because obviously relief pitching is a huge part of the game and if you're a relief pitcher and you just come into the game having one guy already on base it just kind of throws off all your your cadences and like how you go about pitching to certain hitters. Ani, I I'm not a fan. Like I saw the A's win a game because of this and I saw them lose a game because of this. So obviously it's like not not a large enough sample size yet, but I I just puts too much pressure on the relief pitcher, I think. Yeah, the Padres game I was talking about, um, I think his name is Ty Rogers, the the relief pitcher. But anyways, he came in the 10th inning, top of the 10th, man on second. Again, as you said, because of the rules, ended up walking a guy, ended up walking or two guys in a row, so his bases loaded, and then proceeded to, again, as I said, give up five runs. Personally, I like it. I think, like, I love baseball, but at the same time, I think baseball is a sport that's really entrenched in tradition, especially from a young age. And these players learn things that they never want to give up, like chewing sunflower seeds and spinning them up or like hitting their helmet and then the plate 15 times and adjusting their gloves and doing all sorts of rituals before they go up to bat. That's why the game is so slow. I remember in one of our trivia episodes or in our trivia episode we had earlier this year, you asked how many minutes of action are there in an entire MLB game? I think the answer was something like 18 minutes, which is crazy Mm -hmm. considering baseball games can last like two to three hours. So Unlike football or unlike basketball or even soccer where there's constant action with the MLB, it's more of each player just displaying their individual ticks. It's like watching a bunch of Rafael Nadal's on a baseball field. So it's like, for me, I want that to change, but I know it's really hard to ask people that have been doing this their entire lives to change. So I think implementing rules like this that try and encourage these pitchers to change is really good. Like I think when any pitcher you know, has a man on first or second, they get a little bit antsy. But I think for, for relief pitchers, it's it's a little bit more. I think some of them really struggle when there's a man on first, especially a man on second. But I think they just have to adapt, you know. It, it's part of the game now. I think it's good for them. I think it also encourages games to end a lot faster. We've definitely seen a lot of games end in, you know, less than 11, 12 innings now. Especially last season, there were some games that went on to 13, 14, even 15 innings. And it's just a lot of wear and tear on both the offense and the defense, especially the pitching staff. You know, you you can't be asking your entire bullpen to pitch one day and then the next day, you know, if, if a pitcher is tired and, you know, does really poorly in the second or third inning, you can't have your bullpen be like, oh, yeah, you know, you, you pitched two innings yesterday, but can you also pitch 
seven innings today. So I just think it's good for the sport because it allows games to happen faster. It allows for action to happen the entire time. In the old days of last year, when the 10th inning came, you weren't sure whether there was going to be a run score. Now I think most people are sure that some action is going to happen. Even if if, if there's a, a long fly ball, it means the runner can advance to third. With the bunt, they come home. Or with the sack fly, they come home. So again, I think it, it, it gives a lot of action to the fans, which is great. I think the players have to adapt and change a strategy. If you have a, play, a, a pitcher in the ninth inning, you want someone in the 10th who's going to bring more ground balls because that's going to help you out. It really changes strategy, which again, I love. But also, I think baseball needs to change in order for it to become more interesting. I don't want to watch a three and a half hour game where there's only 18 minutes of action. And the only way that can happen is by slowly changing the way baseball is played from a fundamental level in Little League. And implementing rules like this in the minors and the majors is only going to make more radical changes in the Little League. And so when players and kids who play baseball and even softball grow up and start playing in you know, middle school and then high school and college and the minors, the way the game is played is different and it makes it more interesting. That's my rant on baseball. But yeah, that's fair. I mean, I just think it's funny that the relief pitcher gets screwed over. Like they get assigned the inherited runner. They get their ERA inflated after they give up a run, even though that runner isn't technically their responsibility. So I guess when you're when your job is getting paid to pitch one inning and you already have that disadvantage, it's kind of unfortunate for you, your paycheck and like maybe your next contract. But you know, props to baseball for trying. Does it count as an earned run if the man is on second and they come to score? I thought it counts yeah. as an unearned run. No, I think it is a. I think it's an earned run. Okay. I think one well, of the one of the ace pitchers like inherited a a guy in the tenth and like just out of the rule, and I think he got his ERA like nine. It was like nine after the game. Well, yeah, I've been seeing a lot of the relief pitchers have super high ERAs, but I think. You're not going to look at someone this year and be like, oh my God, last year the ERA. As a relief pitcher, your ERA is pretty high in general. But you're not going to look at a relief pitcher who has like a 4-7 ERA. And this year they have like a 9-6 ERA. And be like, oh my God, they must have sucked. But then you see every single game and you say, oh my God, they came in every single time in the 10th and gave up like a run. I think general managers, I think coaches, I think managers in general, I think everyone's going to understand because of the new rule what's going to happen. It's like when the three-pointer came into play in the NBA, obviously points per game increased for each player, but also the, the, the team. So it's not like people are like, oh my God, this player is 10 times better. It's just, no, they're shooting three-pointers now. So I think it's going to it's gonna change the stats, of course, but I think people are going to say, oh, because of this, we understand why the stats are changed. So don't really care too much. I think it also shows which pitchers are good and which pitchers are not because if you have a pitcher that consistently freaks out when there's a man on second and always chokes, then I don't think he's a good relief pitcher, honestly. Yeah, uh, we'll see. We'll we'll see if that rule is here to stay. It's definitely something they're trying out in the shortened season, but that's enough baseball for now. I think we're even bored talking about this much baseball. Let's move on to the NBA bubble. So what we're going to do today is just kind of go over all the teams, probably just in alphabetical order. I don't have the conferences and the order pulled up. It's just changing on a daily basis. So we'll just start with the Boston Celtics. So Ani, the first Celtics game, Jason Tatum, the the pride and joy of the NBA, the future of the league, went two for 18 with a terrible haircut, by the way. Like, he had not gotten anything cut yet. I don't think he knew the barbershop existed. But second game, he was clinical. Like, he played really, really well against Portland. And I know the Blazers almost came back in that game, but Jason Tatum was huge for them and kind of kept them at bay, like, 
scored these really timely buckets and then Jalen Brown closed. So I'm liking what I'm seeing from the young Celtics players and Kemba's going through his knee troubles right now playing limited minutes, but he still looks good, looks explosive. What do you, what's one thing you want to see from Boston as, you know, they prepare for a possible first round series against Philadelphia right now? I think the biggest thing that stands out from for, for, for me with, with the Celtics is consistency, especially with some of their star players. I, I'm always astounded to see how good their overall team is. The fact that they have Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, and at one point this team had Kyrie Irving. And now they have Kemba Walker, who I think is still a very, very solid player and I think has that leadership. But also, again, I think Tatum is really blossomed transitioning into a leader. I think the one thing is if, if Tatum starts to struggle and Kemba Walker still isn't 100%, who's going to step up, right? Who's going to lead that team? Whether it's Jalen Brown, who sometimes does step up, whether it's Marcus Smart, who sometimes does step up. But again, against the Bucks, we saw when Tatum was struggling, nobody really stepped up to fill that void, and they lost by seven, a very close game to probably the first or second best team in the league right now. But I think in those close games, when it matters, what's going to happen with regards to the Celtics? These players need to step up. So I think we'll see how consistent Jason Tatum becomes. I think as playoffs near and he plays a few more games in the bubble, keeps his fade clean, goes to the barbershop every other day. I think he's going to become more consistent. But again, I think my biggest question is, what's your fail safe? You know, for the Celtics, if Tatum doesn't play well and if Kemba isn't 100%, what's your fail safe? I don't, I don't think they have the answer you know, maybe it's Gordon Hayward, but again, Gordon Hayward has failed to really step up that big over the past few years, but especially in the past, I think, you know, especially this year, I, I don't want to say past few months, but you know what I mean? Since February, March, like the first few games in March, and then now, I, I think J, uh, Gordon Hayward hasn't stepped up in a way that he can completely replace Jason Tatum's production if Jason Tatum has a bad shooting night. So I think who's going to step up and fill that void? We will see with the Celtics. What do you think about the Celtics? What do you think they have to look forward to while going into the first round? Again, potentially playing, as you said, the Philadelphia 76ers. So I'm going to push back a little on the Gordon Hayward thing, right? Because he's he's been really, really good for them, especially as of late. And on the season, he's like averaging, I think, 17 on 50% shooting. And he's like a plus three-point shooter. So I know he has... He obviously has the talent to like elevate that a little to like 20, 21 a game. But with Boston's depth, he just hasn't really had the need to, right? Like Kemba's injury has been nagging, but you know, Kemba still plays those heavy minutes and he misses games here and there, but never enough for, for Gordon to really like start taking over that role as like primary playmaker or like primary scorer. Like he just hasn't had to do that yet. But you're right. Like in the case where Kemba does miss maybe half a series, a little more than that, like Gordon Hayward needs to step up and he showed his ability to run an offense with Utah. So I know he can do it. It's just when you're going against a huge team like the Sixers where, you know, Ben Simmons was playing point guard for most of the season until he recently shifted to power forward and Embiid's going to be tough for anyone down there, whether it's Daniel Tice, Robert Williams, Ines Cantor, like whoever they play at center, Embiid's going to be a problem for them. So I think Boston's chances of taking the number two seed is low it's slim but i wouldn't necessarily say it's like a priority for them to get the two seed i they have the overall depth and talent to match up against anybody in the nba it's just a matter of 
like you said, who steps up and who makes those timely shots. But yeah, enough of the Celtics. They've been they've been looking good so far. I don't want to talk too much about the Brooklyn Nets. Um, Karis Levert has looked good. Chris Chioza had his revenge, his revenge game against the Wizards after they cut him earlier this season. But I don't know. Like without Kyrie and Durant, they're just not interesting, man. Yeah, I think they basically came to run cardio in Orlando. You 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 can't <laughs> say no though. You can't be like, oh yeah, our team sucks. All our players opted out. We were not going to come. That That's not how this bubble thing works. So it is what it is. Whoever's playing them should feel lucky. They basically get a free win. But I think, again, Karis Levert had that terrible injury a few years ago, but I'm happy he bounced back and is now in a place where he's been consistently producing. And I'm really curious to see how this team's going to shape out with both KD and Kyrie and DeAndre Jordan on this team. Will they do well? Yeah, I think your Texas guy, Jarrett Allen, is one of the most underrated centers in the league. He's always challenging guys coming at him for dunks. Like, he's blocking shots. He's There's, like, highlight tapes on YouTube of, like, Jarrett Allen blocking superstars. So, he's a defensive stud. I like him. I like Joe Harris. But, yeah, that's enough Nets talk for this podcast. Okay, here's one of the main things I wanted to get to. The Dallas Mavericks, right, had huge, or not huge, they had, like, sizable leads against the Rockets and against the Suns. They lost both games, and in both of those games, 75% of the commentary and the talk was about how good the Mavs are on offense, right? And rightfully so. They have the number one offensive efficiency in the league and are one of the most historically offensively proficient teams of all time. And Luka's kind of spearheading that, right? Like, he and Porzingis are now both healthy and are dangerous. Like, Porzingis dropped 37 game one, and he's like a threat to put up 30 every night. The problem with the Mavs is their clutch time offense. And I think they've lost the most games in the league by five or fewer points. And that just shows an inability to close. Now, I don't know how much of that is on Luka, how much of that is on coaching. Because I saw a very questionable end of game three-pointer drawn up for Tim Hardaway Jr. against the Suns. After he was like 0 for 12 from three the entire game. So, I want I kind of want your thoughts on where where do you draw the line between calling a team like historically offensively great but when they have the like the inability not like to let me rephrase that they don't have the ability to close games as well as they play for the first three quarters so like what do you make of a team like that yeah it's really confusing again watching the Rockets game the Mavs I thought had an upper hand but it's the Rockets and with that three-point shooting dynamic you can never take your foot off the gas the Rockets ended up you know, closing out in the fourth quarter. And it was it was a tie game. And the Mavericks drew up a very, honestly, pretty terrible call out of a timeout. Luka missed a three. I thought it was just a terrible play call considering you literally called a timeout. You're coming out of an inbounds play. And that's the best thing you can draw up is like a, a not like this, this screen wasn't even set. And like you, you have Kristaps and you have Luka. And you have Seth Curry as an option as well. Tim Hardaway Jr. You have four, if you specifically want a three, four three-point shooters you can put in. You can run screens. You can run some inbounds play. But they didn't do any of that. And it was just so, so confusing. Again, I think, honestly, a lot of it boils down to questionable coaching decisions. But I think some of the blame has to rest on Luka Doncic. Because I've seen time and again... In both the Mavs game, or sorry, not Mavs game, in both the the Rockets game and the Suns game, 
he was just shooting threes, especially towards the latter half of the fourth quarter, and he wasn't hitting. And he isn't a great three-point shooter in terms of percentages. Sometimes he does make. But I think, especially in the fourth quarter, when the game is starting to tighten and you can feel that, that palpable tension in the air, Luka just isn't the same player. And I think it's really confusing because, as you said, they're number one in offensive efficiency. But I also think when it comes to the clutch, they're one of the worst teams in the league. I think they were number one in offensive efficiency, but I think 30th in the league in like the last five minutes of the fourth quarter in terms of offensive efficiency, some stat like that. And as you mm-hmm. said, they have a losing record with um, a margin of five points during the, during the fourth quarter. So they're just not closing games. I think, again, part of it is coaching decisions. I think the way you play your players earlier in the game affects fatigue and affects the way the last five minutes end up happening. I think if you're playing the Rockets, not if you're, yeah, if you're playing the Rockets, you can never let up, right? But you're playing the Suns, and you somehow allow them to be up in the lead in the fourth quarter. The Suns were up in the fourth quarter, unlike mm-hmm. the Rockets game where the Mavs were up. And the Mavs just couldn't close out. The Mavs just couldn't come back. So it's not like they give up leads. Sometimes they don't even have the lead and they have the inability to to come back against a team that they like objectively have a far superior roster against and much more skilled players. So it's just very, very confusing. Not really sure what to make of it. I don't know how to fix it. Like I mean, Maybe we can ask Daryl Armstrong, our, our buddy, friend of the podcast, how to fix it. But like from a coaching perspective, I don't know what to do, obviously draw better plays but from an offensive perspective be more efficient like run more ball screens i i don't know what what they do yeah it's frustrating to watch because luca gets to the rim pretty much anytime he wants right like he's one of the most crafty players in the league and he's like six seven six eight like he has a real size and he handles the ball so i don't know why they don't run more like high pick and roll with porzingis towards end game situations like they just tend to go in this iso ball drive kick for threes It's just when you have two of the NBA's like 25 best offensive players, you might as well utilize them in their their right ways. So that's something to look out for. The Mavs are probably one of the better seven seeds the NBA has seen as of late. So they're going to be a tough out for whether it's the Clippers or the Nuggets, whoever ends up taking that two seed. But yeah, speaking of the Nuggets, they've been kind of up and down. They struggled against Miami. Miami just had a lot more athleticism on the floor. The Nuggets are missing Gary Harris, Jamal Murray. They're really shorthanded right now, but that left the door for their next game against the Thunder for players like Michael Porter Jr., who had a career-high 37 points. And this is the guy who believes coronavirus is a conspiracy. And there's always a lot of controversy surrounding this guy's social media, but his on-court impact is indisputable. He's genuinely a steal in the draft i don't know how he slipped to denver yeah i think coming out he obviously did have some some injury issues that people were concerned about but i think when people saw that he went to denver especially i think it was like the 14th picker somewhere in the mid first round i believe people were like if if he produces he's gonna be a star but if he doesn't produce it's whatever and i think a lot of people were like yeah it's a good pickup because at that point you know, the, the players in, not in the top 10, it's, it's, it's kind of iffy. And I think towards, you know, the, the latter parts of, of this season, he started to produce. I think the, the break really helped him out in terms of, you know, fully recovering from whatever injury he had. And as we saw today, really went off 37 points, 12 rebounds. Also, Jokic playing well with a triple-double. 
30, 12 rebounds, 10 assists. I think it's really strange because, as you said, they, they suffered pretty badly against the Heat, allowed Kelly Olynyk to score 20 points in the fourth quarter, first player on, on the Heat since Dwayne Wade to do that. So pretty pretty crazy stat. But I think the Nuggets, again, can they be a second seed? They have they, Potentially, yeah, they got to win out most of the last few games. I think they could be dangerous, and you've seen them have some crazy lineups, you know, with Bobo playing, I think, shooting guard or small forward. No, but he played point guard that one game, right? That, that scrimmage No, game. Jokic, Jokic played point. Oh, yeah, That's Jokic played crazy. point. He played small forward. They have some really interesting lineup possibilities. So we'll see what happens with the Nuggets. I think a lot of things to be explored. I think they could easily make it out of the first round. I think the second round is where they have a lot of their troubles. I think against a team like the Lakers, the Clippers, they will have their struggles just because a lot of their guys on their team aren't experienced. They haven't been in the playoffs a lot. So I think what's going to happen is when they come up against these more experienced teams where you have players like LeBron and Danny Green on the Lakers and on the Clippers, you have Kawhi and Paul George. I think it's going to be an issue for these this very young team to to be able to perform consistently unless in a seven game series. So, yeah, Denver came on the scene last year, and I think they should have won that Portland series. But I think it was just Willard and McCollum just had too much experience for that team at that point. So, Denver, this is kind of a make or break year in terms of their supporting cast because I know they've they've ridden with Gary Harris for a while now. And he's a really good defensive guard, but his three-point percentages are always just fluctuating season to season. And he needs to show some consistency, both staying healthy as well as shooting the ball. I think he's the X factor in terms of perimeter. You know what you're going to get with Jamal Murray. You're going to get 18 points, like seven assists, like half-decent defense, an occasional Instagram picture. But the opponent I'm worried about for Denver, and this is moving on to our next team, Right now, if it was a 3-6 matchup, it would be Denver versus Houston. And Houston's one of the sleeper teams that could just win this bubble, right? Like, they have two of the decade's best players in Russell Westbrook and James Harden. And Westbrook has been playing unbelievably as of late. In his last 37 games, he's shooting above 50%, which for Russell Westbrook is insane. Like, he's never been Mr. Efficiency, and playing with a guard like Harden has finally, I think, unlocked the best version of Russell Westbrook we've seen to date, right? Like, he's not taking these stupid, like, late shot clock threes. He's He finds driving lanes better than he ever has. He crashes the offensive glass, and he's not just stat padding, like what a lot of people might say. I think this Rockets team is scary. They're unpredictable. If they miss, like the, the other game against the Bucks, they shot 61 threes and they won by, I think, four points. So if if the Rockets are shooting 61 threes a game, the opponent knows like it's just going to be small ball, small ball, small ball. So Denver definitely has the ability to play big. But if you're Houston, would you rather play a jumbo lineup? I think it depends. I think... We saw against the Bucks, they shot a ridiculous amount of threes, and they got out-rebounded. Was it by 20 or 30 rebounds? It was something absurd. Something I think it was 30 rebounds. Maybe it was 20. But either of those numbers are crazy in an NBA standpoint. They literally did not go for the rebound because they just kept on shooting threes. But it worked out. They beat the Bucks by four points. So I think if I was the Rockets, I would rather play a jumbo team 
because I think it allows for interesting spacing possibilities. I think, Mm -hmm. again, they do a lot of driving and kicking and Harden's step back is pretty deadly. So if Harden has like a bigger, slower player on him, he gets that, you know, from an off ball screen or a switch or something. He can definitely just step back all day and shoot those threes. And Russell Westbrook is one of the best driving guards in NBA history. So no matter who he's up against, big or small, he has the ability to go up to the rim and make a drive that, that for the most part, is going to end up scoring either points or he can kick it out when some help defense comes in. So I think if I was the Rockets, if I was Mike D'Antoni, I'd rather face a bigger team because if you're smaller and quicker and you have the ability with both Harden and Westbrook to drive and finish really well in the paint, but also you have the ability to to kick out and, you know, using spacing, using screens, and, you know, hopefully the defense switches, take a lot of high-volume threes, and especially if you're making, you know, 30, 40, you know, close to in between 40 and 50% of your threes as a team, you're definitely going to do really, really well. I think the thing with the Rockets is, again, they have to be making their threes in order to win. But I think as of late, as you said, Russell Westbrook has been shooting really well. James Harden always shoots really well. Uh, so I think they've been doing really well. Uh, once they get their full team back in terms of injuries, I think they're even more of a deadly threat than they are right now. They were my sleeper team coming into this bubble. I thought that they had a really good chance of making it to the finals. And I still think they do. I just When you see James Harden and Russell Westbrook on the other team, you know that. Even if they're down by 15, it's not that big of a deal for them. The Rockets, a 15-point deficit is not that big of a deal. I mean, it is a big deal in a sense, but they can come back from it in a few minutes. And especially if they're hot, they can come back from it in 7, 8, 9 possessions. So I think that team defensively also is playing really, really well. They are stripping up to be a surprisingly good defensive team, especially in the fourth quarter. As we saw against the Bucks, super confusing. You never think that a team that has Russell Westbrook, James Harden, is coached by Mike D'Antoni, will be known as one of the better defensive teams in the NBA, especially in the Western Conference. But that's what we're seeing. I think that's really, really helping them out. I I will say about their defense, it's very up and down. They're not a bad defensive team, but I'm not going to say they're good. They gave up 85 points and a half to the Dallas Mavericks in their first game. So but right now, some... in the fourth quarter, they are one of the best defensive teams. In the fourth quarter. What, I guess, when it, when it matters, they clamp. But I'm glad you brought up the fact that the, the drive and kick is a big part of their offense. Because right now, their shooters are not hitting threes. Like, aside from Harden and Westbrook, who, obviously, they're going to have their 28 to 32 points. How much ever they score, Harden's always a threat to drop 50. But P.J. Tucker has been ice cold, and he's always going to have open shots with these two constantly driving and kicking. So... Players like Austin Rivers, P.J. Tucker, Ben McLemore, Daniel House, all these guys really need to hit their shots for Houston to even have a chance against one of the top teams of the West. So that's something to keep an eye on. Yeah, Robert Covington has been doing okay, but I think he's been shooting pretty clutch, especially in the Mavs game in the fourth quarter. He's been doing pretty well. So I think out of the supporting cast, he's been the better of them. I think his defense also brings something. But again, as you said, the rest of the supporting cast of the, of, of, of the Rockets needs to be consistent. And it's, re- it's really going to become an issue for them if they're in like a seven-game series against the Lakers or the Clippers. And, you know, it's only Harden and, and Westbrook. These teams have the star power to lock them down, potentially, to the, to the extent that you can lock someone like Russell Westbrook or James Harden down. But especially I think the Clippers, with having both Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, 
can easily clamp down on Russell Westbrook and James Harden. So we'll see what happens if they play someone like the Clippers. But I think, if if anything, they played the Bucks and they beat them by four. So the, the Rockets have a good chance of, of going deep in this playoff run. For sure. We're going to monitor that. But one player that nobody has been able to clamp so far is TJ Warren of the Indiana Pacers. That dude dropped 53 against the Sixers. 53 points. Remember, TJ Warren was given away by the Suns for cash considerations. That is criminal. Imagine if Phoenix had TJ Warren right now, right? They would be the the team to take the eighth spot, in my opinion. Like the the Suns are a piece away, and I think that piece is just another scorer to complement Booker. But he's been feasting with the Pacers. Like just today, he dropped thirty four, like ten rebounds, four steals, three blocks. He's playing defense, which he's never been known for, but he's always been very underrated. And Oladipo's playing, which a lot of people didn't think was going to happen, but he's been playing the regular season games too after, you know, showing us glimpses in the scrimmages. And now the Pacers are just completely different. You have Oladipo back. You have Malcolm Brogdon healthy. Sabonis left the bubble for a foot injury, and I don't know what his situation is, but hoping if he comes back, the Pacers are kind of scary. Yeah, the Pacers are really scary. Again, Warren today dropping 34 points, 11 rebounds, 3 steals. Really transforming this Pacers team into becoming really well-rounded. I think Oladipo still has a little bit of the of the injury nag. He's not playing, I think, 100%, and we can see that on the court. But he's making some plays. He's playing really, really well, or as well as he can be. He's not dominating the, 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 the scoring like he sometimes used to. But I think... You know, Warren is definitely taking that all by himself, basically becoming the number one scoring option for the Pacers. Who would have thought that, you know, when you trade someone away from the Suns for cash considerations, they end up blossoming. But that just shows you the luck of the Phoenix Suns. I think this Pacers team is set out to be really good. They also have, as a big man, UT alum Miles Turner, so I think that also plays pretty well. Again, hoping Sabonis comes back. We'll see about him. I haven't heard much since he left the bubble. But, yeah, I mean, I think they can definitely make it deep in the East in the playoffs. They, their record is pretty similar to the Thunder. Um, they're 41-26 and the Thunder, 41-25. and And the Pacers are playing in super well. Warren, I think right now, there's an MVP for the bubble. He would be winning that right now for sure. Yeah, I was going to say, bubble good. MVP, definitely TJ Warren right now. Probably Harden second, Giannis third, something like that. But yeah, Warren's been on a tear. Pacers are very scary. Let's move on. The LA Clippers, who are my pick to win the title. Because now Paul George looks like a world beater again with two healthy shoulders, right? Like he has been balling. He's been efficient. He's been shooting the lights out from three-point range. I think last game against the Pelicans, he made all but one of his threes, but he missed every single one of his two-point attempts, which is insane. But PG looks great. Kawhi rested, healthy. You know he's going to turn it up for the playoffs. I don't I don't want to spend too much time on this right now just because Lou Will, Montrez, Harrell, Pat Bev have played limited minutes. The first two haven't, just, haven't played at all. We know what Lou Will's been up to. Montrez is just weighing it out. But yeah, I think the Clippers at full depth are probably the deepest team in the league 
Yeah, definitely. I think the Clippers are the deepest team in the league with full depth. I think the one scary thing about the Clippers is no one has seen their entire full roster lineup. But the entire year, one of those pieces was not healthy or was missing. And so I think there's a really good probability that the entire Clippers team could be healthy by the time the playoffs roll around. And that would be scary for any team in any conference. So I think the Clippers have a really good chance of beating the Lakers if it comes to that in the Western Conference Finals. I think the Clippers have a really good shot of beating the Rockets if it comes to that in like the Western Conference Semifinals, for example, or even the Western Conference Finals again. I think they are one of the best teams in the league, obviously, but I think their depth is what scares me the most. The biggest thing I'm scared about them a little bit, as we saw against the Lakers, is their clutch offense. Paul George hit that first three, but when the second three rolled around, he wasn't able to hit that one. We all know about Paul George's struggles in the clutch, especially in the fourth quarter. I think he's hopefully, which is a good thing for him, starting to shed that a little bit. I think he's starting to become a better clutch player. We'll see how Kawhi takes some clutch moments. I think last year in the playoffs with the Raptors, he obviously took a lot of the clutch moments on his shoulders, so we'll see what happens this year. But yeah, the Clippers, really, really scary team. I think if we move on to their crosstown rivals, not really cross down because they play in the same stadium. The LA Lakers. The Lakers looking pretty good, but a little bit concerning their loss against the Raptors. So I, I'm wondering what you'd think about them losing to a team whose who's best scorer, again, is Pascal Siakam. I think might win the most improved player of the year again this year, which is crazy to think about. Him and Brandon Ingram, I think, is a pretty close race between them. But just crazy how much improved Siakam is with, with, with the Raptors. But, you know, the Lakers losing to a team with... You know, Siakam and Fred Van Fleet as their best scorers. Are the Lakers going to make it deep in the playoffs? Will they lose early if AD and LeBron don't step up? What about their depth? You know, I'm curious to what you think is going to happen with the Lakers this year. Well, I think in particular, the Laker-Raptor game was not, not as much of kind of a critique on the Lakers, but more of how strong a team Toronto is. You know, this is really proving that they weren't just Kawhi and company. Like, Nick Nurse is most likely going to win Coach of the Year. He has respect all around the league. And when you have when you have a team where you have around eight guys who are comfortable handling the ball and putting the ball in the basket, right? Like, I'm I'm not going to name all of them, but like OG Ananobi, Kyle Lowry, Sergi Baca, Mark Gasol, Pascal, Van Vliet, Norman Powell. And these are just naming, that was like seven of them. But that team is very deep. They're like kind of the Clippers in that they have so many players who are very effective at what they do. And they're they're a high-level coach team. So you can never count them out. I think that was just a very good, hard-nosed, competitive game against the Lakers. And, you know, LA will lose the occasional game where you don't have LeBron and AD both playing at a high level. But Anthony Davis today against Utah was a monster. He whatever struggles that the pair of them had against Toronto like that that was completely gone like he he iced the game on a step back three that you see guards do you see James Harden make the kind of plays that AD was making in this game and I think in a couple of years AD is really going to challenge for that best player in the league if he hasn't already you know his defense is remarkable he can switch on I this game really showed the difference between he and let me reword the game against Utah showed the difference between AD and Rudy Gobert as defenders, right? 
Gobert is a much better paint defender in that he controls literally everything the Jazz do around that paint. He's the defensive anchor for that team in the paint. But when he had to switch out, mind you, this isn't a guard. He had to switch out onto AD on the perimeter and he couldn't hang with him. AD hit him with a step back and one three. Like you don't see that happen from guys AD's size, but he's just a unicorn. AD is insanely talented and Obviously, when you have LeBron running your offense, you can never count yourself out of a series. But I wanted to ask you something. We moved on from the Clippers, but I wanted to ask you something about that. If you're Doc Rivers, how do you handle guarding AD? I think that's the one big challenge the Clippers have, right? Because you have either Zubac, who's seven feet and is like the only size the Clippers have, or you put a bulldog like Montrez on him. But I don't know how well that works out in terms of drawing fouls or containing AD's post. So what would you do? Yeah, that's the hardest question any team has to answer is how do you guard AD? But I think the answer is really hard for the Clippers because as you said, Zubac just cannot guard AD at all. I think Harrell can do a better job against AD, but I, I think you're, if I was Doc Rivers, which I'm glad I'm not, but also he's one of the better coaches in NBA history. So I I, I don't know, honestly. Like I, I don't know how the Clippers will solve the answer. I'm sure they will have an answer. They might you know, end up doubling AD or like bringing help on him. But the more I'm thinking about it, especially watching the past two games and especially today's game, AD can hit from all over. He can hit on the wing, those those mid-range and deep twos. He can hit threes from literally anywhere on the court. He can drive. He can, you know, play super well in the post, has a really nice post game. So Jesus become the complete basketball player, and with the size advantage, it's super hard to guard him. So I have no idea what the Clippers are going to do. I, I would hate to be Doc Rivers at this point. I, I would hate to be anybody that guards AD, anybody that guards the, the Lakers. That's playing the Lakers. I have no idea what they're going to do, honestly. Is the Lakers' third best player Kyle Kuzma? I, I, I don't know, right, because he's... He's either the guy who can give you 24-25 with really effective shooting and good defense, or he, you just don't know he's in the game. He'll give you seven points and two for nine shooting. Like They need him to be that strong third option, but I don't know. He, I wouldn't even call him their... He's not their third star. He, he's not a star yet. Like what, what more does Kuzma have to do for this team to like truly, truly make a deep run? He needs to be consistent. I think that's Kuzma's biggest thing. Is sometimes... He can go out there and drop a lot of points. Again, on a team with AD and LeBron, anybody that drops, you know, even 30 points, it's like, wow, yeah, they had a great night considering you have two of the best scorers in the league, you know, on your team. But I think he has to be consistent. I, I would rather have him shoot 15, 16, like make, make 15, 16 points a night every single night than one game have 25 and one game have like seven or five, which is what he's doing now. He's super inconsistent. And I think also he needs to have more of a dog mentality. I think I think that the Lakers' third best player, you know, is is meme god, meme lord Alex Caruso. Purely because of like the mentality he brings. We saw late in, in that Clippers game how he's able to save the ball and you know, he might not make the clutch three. He might not be given the option to make the clutch three, but I think I would rather trust him shooting the three in the clutch over Kuzma. I just don't have a good feeling when Kuzma shoots a clutch three, honestly. Even if he's playing well, I just don't have that good feeling. But I know for a fact that Alex Caruso is willing to die for the ball. He's willing to make the pass, even if he's open, if he sees a better shot. 
Kuzma isn't willing to do that. Kuzma's a, like a shoot first type of player. So I think Alex Caruso is possibly the third best player. I think if, if, if Ray Bradley was in, he would for sure be. I think it's like Dwight Howard is playing really well recently. And, you know, he could be a potential third best player on the Lakers. But right now, I think it's Alex Caruso. You know, he had five assists tonight, zero turnovers. So I think he's playing super well. We'll see um, what um, Frank Vogel does with regards to the rotation as it rounds the playoffs. And. We'll see what you know if a team they have or what what team, what team they're playing whether that makes a difference in the rotation. But you know, I think Alex Caruso is honestly right now a better player than Kyle Kuzma. Yeah, I was just gonna say. So I don't know if Caruso is a better player than Kuzma, but I think right now he's more effective. Like he's. I just think he's doing playing that. better. He's not a better player, but he's playing exactly. Better. Like you know what you're getting from Caruso night and night out. You're gonna get that hustle. You're gonna get like plus defense. You're going to get someone who can unlock the fast break. Caruso has underrated ball handling skills. He always gives up the ball. He's a willing passer. Great teammate by all accounts. So, yeah, I, you're right. Like, I, everyone makes fun of Caruso just because he's, like, he's the prototypical, like, one white dude on the NBA roster. But I really like what he's been doing. But a team that's been absolutely struggling, and they've lost three must-win games for them, are the Memphis Grizzlies. They lost to Portland. They lost to San Antonio, and they lost to the Pelicans. The first two games were very winnable. Ja and Jaron Jackson have been playing fantastic. They've, they like Memphis is ahead of schedule as a team. Like they weren't supposed to be this good this year, and I like the direction that team is headed as a whole. But this is scary now because their next five games are the Jazz, the Thunder, the Raptors, Celtics, and Bucks. Do you see them winning like at least one? Of those games, I think they're gonna lose all five. And if Ja puts up double digit bricks like he did today against the Pelicans, who have, in all honesty, one of the worst defenses in the bubble. No, I think the worst defense in the bubble. Like, I don't know what's gonna happen. Like, it's okay if you put up double digit bricks against like the Bucks, a really good defensive team. But against the Pelicans, I mean, in that first game with the Jazz, it was just insane to see how hard the Pelicans struggled to score a point. But then the Jazz, when the Pelicans did score, just come right back and on like 5-10 seconds, drive to the hoop and score a layup. The Pelicans defense is terrible. But somehow Jaw managed to have double-digit bricks. That's just like not boding well for the for, for, for the Grizzlies right now. So I think, I don't think they're going to win a game in the rest of the bubble. But as you said, I think this team is super young. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing for them. Like, in terms of their morale, they're super young, very inexperienced team overall. So it's not like you have super high expectations. If they made the playoffs, as you said, light years ahead of where they should be. I think Jean Marat is trying to develop into one of the better players in the league. I think he has a really high ceiling in terms of potential. But just, I think, this game, we'll see. He played pretty well in the first two games, uh, especially against the Spurs, he played well. But I think this game, he did not play well at all. So we'll see what happens, but... Yeah, dude, I'm scared for the Grizzlies because everyone was saying, like, which team is going to play the play-in game against Memphis. But it there's a high chance that, you know, they're the nine seed that's looking at single-game elimination. So it's tough for them. You know, I hope they win a couple of games, get this back on track. A fun team to watch. Jaron Jackson's one of my top ten favorite players just to watch, like, what he does on the court. He's a monster defender. He's he he has the slingshot three point shot that just works. He's he's insane. He's like seven foot pulling from like four feet behind the three point line. It's just this new wave of NBA going on, and Jaron's like one of the 
the people leading that charge. So I really like him. Let's go to another team. Let's go to the Miami Heat. They're switching up to the East. Look really impressive against Denver. Miami is one of those like deep teams where, you know, just everyone knows what they're doing. Tyler Hero, Jimmy Butler, Kendrick Nunn, uh, Kelly Olenek, Kelly 20.4th quarter God Olenek. Um, you know, Bam Adebayo is one of those like most improved player candidates. I don't think he'll win, but you know, the all-star nod was nice. And I think he has like a fringe chance at like all NBA third team, depending on how the voters go. But Bam is, who do you think the best player is to stop Giannis in the East? I, I think it's Bam. Yeah, I think Bam has the versatility that you need to stop Giannis in the East. Yeah, I, I think he's probably one of the better players to stop Giannis in the East. I, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Like there's guys like Embiid, maybe. But I think he's he's a bit slow, so I think, when it comes to guarding Giannis sometimes, especially mm-hmm. with Giannis's length. Sometimes Embiid just can't can't handle him. I was thinking Embiid, but obviously, especially on like a fast break or something, it's really hard for anyone to guard Giannis. But yeah. yeah, I think the one thing about the Heat is they have a kind of tough schedule remaining. They play the Celtics, the Bucks, uh, the Thunder. They also play the Pacers twice. Uh, mm-hmm. They do have an easy game against the Suns, but you know maybe it's not an easy game, as we've seen uh, <laughs> the Mavs play them. But I think overall, the, this Heat team is, is an interesting team, but I think has a lot of potential. It's really, really good. Uh, we'll see what happens over the next few games. But I think the, the real story with the Heat is what's going to happen in the playoffs. I think it really depends on who they're playing in any specific game. But I think as of right now, they have seemingly good potential. So, Yeah, last game, they kind of struggled getting Duncan Robinson open threes. Like, he only shot four threes. And if you're Duncan Robinson... You're one of the top two or three shooters in the league. You should be taking double that. Like you, Miami needs to get... The, the, I think their one problem right now is floor spacing with their current starting five. And Duncan obviously like unlocks a lot of stuff for them. But if he's only getting four open threes, that's something they need to work on and address for future games. But yeah, you, know, you were just rattling up the schedule. And I was just thinking... One thing I love about the bubble overall is that if you're not playing the Magic, Wizards, or Nets... Like, it's going to be a good game for us to watch. Like, every single game is going to be high competition. Like, the best players in the league going at it. So, I, I really love this new format. Yeah, we've had a couple of overtime games that have been super entertaining. And um, almost every single game has been down to the wire. So, no matter who you're playing, probably going to be a pretty good team. And I think it's really, really entertaining to watch. And I think... I'm just so excited to see how the playoffs roll around because even these games that have not been, you know, playoff games, they've been these these eight games have all been really, really interesting and really fun. And I think the NBA is doing a great job with the presentation of the game. The announcing is, you know, really good. We have everybody's favorite crews from TNT and from ESPN. Obviously, Doris Burke is announcing. Shout out to her. But then they also have those little fan screen video boards. And it's fun just to see fans engaging you know, I don't. I don't know how they get on there. Would be very. I think, interesting I think to see. you gotta apply on like they have like team competitions and stuff. Like, oh, do you want to be on the board for the the Warrior or the Kings game or something? Like they they have all those advertisements. Paul Pierce was one what was on one of them um, uh, for the Celtics game against the Blazers. Uh, True. Really, really funny to see how his 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 the the face he has when he's watching games is just hilarious. Yeah, it's uh, that it's that like little like 
I might be high, but I just look dumbfounded face. It, uh, yeah, to see, he seemingly, like, uh, for an NBA player, is so bored of watching, like, the team he is a legend for. But, yeah, I think the presentation of the game is actually really good. And I actually find it hilarious that, like, every few minutes or so, there just won't be an audio. Because I know they have a tape delay because I know there was something bad set on the court. But I love the fact that we can hear things. Uh-huh. And the squeak of the shoes is so audible and loud now. It really feels like you're in a gym watching just the best players play like you 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 see those mixtapes on youtube of like kobe mm-hmm. going to a gym and like dominating or like like any nba player but like the the ones that are legends just going to like a gym and just dominating and cleaning the floor with everybody that kind of like has that vibe but with obviously the best players in the world so i think the level of play is outstanding yeah especially when a player catches fire like it tj warren you did the entire pacers bench was just going crazy and it was fun to watch like it's it's just the players interacting with each other and it's a really unique vibe and i'm a fan like i don't miss the fans at all but let's go to a team that would have had a lot of fans home court advantage throughout the playoffs and that's the milwaukee bucks now we know what Giannis does we know chris middleton by now is like a bona fide star like he's gonna make one of the all nba teams this year flirting with a 50-40-90 season, mad underrated, finally getting the respect he deserves. The problem with the Bucks is the other guys. Like they, sh- I think Houston showed that if you take away the shooting from the Bucks, they, like, they only rely on Giannis for post-offense. And when you have someone like Brooke Lopez, who has was shown that he can score in the post when he was with Brooklyn back in the day, and you're only utilizing him as that like pace and space three point shooter. I think that's a mistake. Like I think the Bucks are focusing way too much on getting outside looks with all their guys when they have two very elite post scorers in Giannis and Brook Lopez. So, Ani, tell me a little about. Obviously, one of the the favorites for the title, but one of the the title contenders with like a few holes that you you just can't ignore. I don't really care too much about the fact that they're focusing on outside shooting because for me, if they want to focus back inside, they can just like Giannis can literally drive and nobody in the league can stop him. And he scores such a high percentage of the time when he drives that I don't think it makes that big of a difference. I think honestly, like sure, maybe Lopez could play more in the post and we have seen him, as you said, play in the post in the past. But I think... Overall, it doesn't matter that much. I think they're seeing the way the Rockets play and a lot of these other high-volume three-point shooting teams play. And they're like, okay, yeah, let's just focus on three-point shooting, outside shooting, and let's see if it works. And for the most part, it has been. Again, they're the number one team in the East for a reason. But I think the reason why they're not focusing too much on the paint and too much on getting a paint presence is because they have Giannis, and Giannis is that for them. You know, I think Giannis has been trying to shoot a little bit more to show the NBA that he's a multi-dimensional threat. I think that matters more when you're playing the Lakers because you have someone like AD who can guard Giannis effectively. But when you're in the East, I think no one can really stop the Bucs. I think the Bucs are going to definitely have a great chance of making the finals. I think the only team stopping them in the East is the Raptors. But I mean, Miami could give them a challenge. I think Boston would be a good matchup for them too. East is very top heavy. Like after the first six teams, the East is garbage. But I, I think any one of those six teams, if they made the finals, it wouldn't like totally surprise you. 
That is true. I think the Celtics do have a good shot. And so the Heat, I think the, out of the teams you mentioned, the Heat have the worst shot. They do have Bam, but you know, I just, I just don't see them making the finals over a team like, again, the Raptors, the Bucks, or the Celtics. I think those three are the, the, the clear-cut favorites with the Heat a little, like, one tier below them. But I think for me, in the East, it's between the Raptors and the Bucks. But again, I think with the Bucks. We'll see what happens. We'll see how it play out. The Bucks are the one team where I, I, I don't feel comfortable seeing anything because they have Giannis. You know, like when you have Giannis mm-hmm. on your team, I, I don't know what's going to happen because I know Giannis can literally take the game over. Uh, so we'll see what happens with regards to them. So, All right. So since all the national media outlets give this team exclusive coverage, we're just going to go very briefly on them. New Orleans Pelicans. Very overhyped. Lost two in a row to start. That cl- they did not play well against the Clippers. They should have won against the Jazz, I thought. They blew, blew a significant lead. The Clippers game was ugly. But they've been playing Zion on some minutes restriction. They beat Memphis today. But yeah, they have good perimeter defense. Drew Holiday's incredible Lonzo is a very underrated defender I think people are starting to view him as one of the elite perimeter defenders but their interior defense is brutal Zion's defense has been atrocious in these three games and honestly even when he was playing in those like like close to 20 games before the season ended his defense wasn't great and Derek Favors has been okay but more towards bad as a defender this season so yeah like you mentioned earlier the Pelicans have one of the worst defenses in the league I'm gonna say they have one of the worst interior defenses. I don't. Their perimeter defense is fine, I think, but yeah, that, I, that's all I have to say about them. How about you? Yeah, that's. What, I guess that's what I meant to say because we saw today, Lonzo Ball really helped lock down Ja in shooting, and there's a reason why Ja had terrible shooting numbers is because the Pelicans play good outside defense, but their inside defense is really terrible, and I think it's really easy for their opponents to drive in. So, yeah, I think the one issue about the, the Pelicans is Zion when he runs looks like he's injured uh, he scored 23 points today he played a few more minutes today but I think with those minutes restrictions it's hard also he's not that good on offense that he can just be a terrible defender like he is I think he's just so bad on defense right now that it's kind of scary and it's really contributing to how bad their interior defense is Lonzo Ball terrible game against the Jazz and I think the one thing, again, about the Pelicans is they have no consistency. Like, Brendan Ingram caught fire in the first half of that Jazz game. Did not pull through in the second half. I guess the Clippers was not looking great. But today, especially in the fourth quarter, looked really good. But he didn't look good against the Jazz. So it's just, like, really inconsistent on offense. Sometimes J.J. Redick plays super well. Other times, you know, against the Clippers, for example, he just was not hitting. It's just really, really confusing. So, like, I, I, the Pelicans, yeah, they're not playing super hot right now. Uh, I thought in the beginning they had a really easy schedule, but I think one thing to con- consider is they actually had they had an easier schedule if the season were to re- like have resumed or mm-hmm. the season were to have played out than what they have right now. They have a harder schedule in the bubble than they had in the regular season, so one thing to consider. But I thought I th- I think initially I thought the Pelicans would have made the playoffs. Now I really doubt it, and even if they do, they're for sure gonna lose in the first round. They they have no chance of making it past the first round. So. Well, here's the thing. They they lost the games they were supposed to lose, right? They they obviously if you're if you're Utah and you're going against New Orleans, you're favored to win if you're the Jazz. And New Orleans nearly stole that game. 
They got blown out by the Clippers, which looked terrible, but then they beat Memphis. So you're 1-2, but you've won the game that you're supposed to win. Next up is Sacramento, then Washington, then a big one against the Spurs. And you have Sacramento again, and you finish with Orlando. I, I, I don't see... It's not like super unrealistic to see them just win out. No, yeah. I think they 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 might win out. I mean, yeah, you have a really easy schedule, as I said, especially past these first few games. But I think the issue is it doesn't matter. I don't see them beating the Lakers, who are now the number one seed. I guess we forgot to mention oh, yeah, that. Of course. <laughs> they clinched the number one seed today in the West. They're not gonna beat the Lakers. So like does it really matter? Like, not really. So, all right, Whatever. let's move on. We got the most underrated team all season, Oklahoma City Thunder. I think they're also one of those like dark horse teams. I just trust them more than some of the other Western Conference teams. Like, if you're telling me the Mavs or the Thunder, who do I trust more? Obviously, I'm I'm gonna trust the Thunder. They just if you have Chris Paul leading your team, he's led that team to one of the best clutch ratings throughout the season. Their team is remarkable in close games. And I like the pieces that they have. You know, Shea is a perfect counterpart to Chris Paul. And when they run that three-guard lineup, we've mentioned it before, but Dennis Schroeder, SGA, Chris Paul, and you have Gallo. There's so much floor spacing. There's a lot of driving lanes for these guards to be aggressive. And Chris Paul runs an offense like no other point guard does. Like, he, he's a maestro. He's the conductor on the court. He screams out other teams' sets so that OKC knows how to get into defensive like positions that you know make it easier to guard those offensive sets and he's just a unique player and the thunder right now are what the what are they the fourth seed i think they're the fourth seed let me i believe they're the fourth seed hold on um yeah they are the the fifth no they're no they're the sixth seed but they're only like a few games behind they're one game behind the fourth seed which are the rockets Oh, okay. uh, that that happened when OKC lost and the Rockets won. Yeah, I guess so. They were the four seed, now the six. But yeah, that middle of the West is so tough. I like OKC. I think I think they could scare the hell out of whoever they play in the first round. No, definitely. I think OKC is one of the better teams in the West. I really love their lineup, as you said. The one thing I love is actually their future. You know, they have a first round pick every single year for the next few years because of the trades they've done. Uh, with regards to, to Chris Paul and with regards to Russell Westbrook. So I think the future for Thunder fans is actually pretty good. And I think they have a good shot of making it deep in the playoffs. I think easily a first round win. They might be the 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 fourth seed, possibly the third seed if the Nuggets falter. They're only two and a half games behind the Nuggets the the Nuggets and like they're only four games behind the Clippers. So excuse me. Um yeah, so they have a really good shot, I think, of making a deep in the playoffs. We'll see how Chris Paul does. But again, he's a leader, super experienced in the playoffs. So I think he just has to will these other players around him. I think SGA and Dennis Schroeder and Gallinari are not experienced in the playoffs at all. But I think Chris Paul's experience brings a lot for him. So, yeah. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on OKC. Fun team to watch. Billy Donovan's really kind of changed the impression of how he is as a coach there. But now the Orlando Magic, and I'm going to go on a little rant here. Jonathan Isaac recently got injured, torn ACL, and 
If you've been following the NBA, you know that he was one of the guys to stand for the national anthem. And this is this is after he said, like, I'm in full support of Black Lives Matter and everything. I don't want to talk too much about that. Like, he's... Everything J.I. has done in his career thus far, and just... I looked up a bunch about him after seeing that anthem stuff. And he's he's a good guy, and he's done his part to, like, bring awareness to stuff. And he's very religious, which is why he stood for the anthem, and he he did what he had to do and he got injured the game right after Torres ACL on a play that looked super similar to when Derrick Rose tore his ACL for the first time it just was it was painful to watch and you know he'd already come back from a knee injury this season and he was playing pretty well in the bubble so far and he he was the one element that gave Orlando any bit of excitement that they lacked throughout the season like he was the one guy who Durant has name dropped him as like one of the future stars in the league. So people know he's good. And then there's the internet trolls, right? That when you see a player get injured, all of them decide to go comment. Karma, this is what he deserves. Now he can sit the rest of the time. Now you can kneel. Like now you can't stand. And this is what annoys me so much about people who have nothing better to do than to just get on their computers, go on Twitter, and type things to players that if they meet in real life, they wouldn't say a damn word to those players right like Jonathan Isaac is a great individual by all accounts his teammates his coaches everyone has said online reading articles and stuff that he is a great person and even the media has said he's a great person so when you see people comment this stuff I don't know it just bothers me so fundamentally that people can be so casual with their words and then you know they can just delete their tweets or something like they like be a man I don't know. That, that that just bothered me seeing that. Like prayers up to JI. Like I hope he gets better. But yeah, that that was frustrating to I don't know, see on my timeline. Yeah, I saw a lot of Jonathan Isaac slander on on my timeline as well, but I think yeah, but the Magic I I think from basketball perspective, they won their two games in the bubble and I think they Jonathan Isaac really gave them an edge especially on offense. I don't think they're going to make it that far anymore. I thought, you know, maybe they could have, if they're playing the Raptors, it might have been difficult. But, you know, they could have won a game or two. Who knows? Maybe, you know, Aaron Gordon would actually win some some playoff games. Uh, but Hey, they yeah. won a game off the Raptors last year. It's not Yeah, like last year, didn't. one game. And I think this yeah. year they may have won two or three games. It's like a couple of games, yeah. So, But I think now they definitely don't have that shot anymore. I think it might be a sweeper, a five-game series. But, yeah, Orlando's Orlando's one of those teams that were just invited because you know they were in the playoffs, but they they wouldn't make it in the West. They just yeah, uh, I I don't know what else do you have on the Magic. I don't have much else to say. I really don't have much. I mean, they won their two games in the bubble so far. It's good for them, but I just don't think they're going to win the rest of them. So yeah, I mean, they did play Brooklyn and Sacramento, which are not by any means great teams. So congrats to the Magic for beating who they're supposed to beat, I guess. But now one of a team that a lot of people have gotten more insight into them. That is the Philadelphia 76ers. In part thanks to the boy Matisse Thibel's vlogs. You know, when watching these vlogs, you see how much of a leader Tobias Harris for the, is for that team. And it's kind of been reflected on the court. Like, Tobias has been playing really well. He's one of their more, more vocal players. And yeah, like Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are like their one and two in whatever order you want to put. 1A, 1B, but Tobias is kind of that like heart and soul of the team where they will go as far as 
like his energy takes them and like the first game you saw you saw Joel Embiid get mad at Shake Milton for you know throwing a bad pass that led to Embiid getting fouled and there was like a lot of internet drama with that like oh Joel Embiid hates his teammates but you know Tobias afterwards like a lot of reports came out saying that you know he was the one who in the locker room said like relax guys it's just one game like we have the rest of the, like, the seven games to prove ourselves we're getting used to like positional differences we still have our job to go out and like make people aware of social issues which you know the Sixers are doing a great job of like Tobias is speaking out for Black Lives Matter and you know they're educating their fans their followers and against the Spurs Shake Milton hit the game-winning three so I thought that was beautiful. Sixers obviously have a lot of issues as a team, like on the basketball court, just to work out. Like the Simmons and Bead pairing just never seems perfect, but it just gets by because of how talented those two are. But what what do you think the Sixers need to do in order to like truly contend for the Eastern Conference? Like the 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 team that comes out of the East. Like what what did they have to do to be that team? I don't know because I think last year and maybe even the year before, it looked like they would have been that. And barring a miracle shot by Kawhi Leonard last year, they could have been that team to come out of the East. So I think it's very, very interesting because the Raptors, the, the Raptors, the, the Sixers have been in a, in a similar position for the past two or three years. And I think it's really interesting because, you know, they've tried changing some pieces. They had Jimmy Butler, now he's on the Heat. And, you know, I think Tobias Harris has really stepped up. And I, I don't know. I think Ben Simmons has definitely become a better shooter, slightly better than before. And his defense is obviously a lot better than before. Um, not that his defense was bad before, but I think now he's really obviously one of the best defenders in the league. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't really know. I, the, the, the Sixers have been struggling with the same problem for a while now. And it's just like, what do they do? You know, it's hard for them to answer that question because they don't even know it themselves. They've tried... For two or three years to answer that question, they're, they're not they're not able to. So I don't know. Maybe I mean they've tried playing around with, with lineups. I think with the Sixers this is one of those things of like they have to gel. Like sometime soon they're either gonna gel and just suddenly start playing really well. Like some lineup works, they're just you know they're all gonna start playing well. It's just not gonna work out for them. They're gonna lose in the second round or the third round to the Raptors, the Bucks, or the Celtics. So I don't know. Very interesting team the Sixers are. Yeah, I think either Brett Brown gets fired or one of Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid gets traded if they don't get past the second round. Because, you know, fans in Philly are notorious for just being very impatient and they want immediate success, especially after how many losing seasons this team had during the Sam Hinkie years. So, yeah, I think yeah. I think like what 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 do you think the success level for this year's Sixers should be? Because they're the sixth seed right now, but they're only like two games down for the set for the fourth seed and they're like i guess five games four and a half games down from the the third seed celtics but like like i don't know i don't know like i think is this the second round too easy for them like they're a very talented team so like see that's what like if if you're philly like the seeding shouldn't matter especially now because like the home court road team splits for that for the sixers in the season are so drastic they're one of the best teams at the NBA at home, and they play like a bottom-feeding, tanking team on the road. And now none of that matters. So I don't think seeding matters anymore for them, like whether they get the three, four, five, six. It's about the talent they have at the floor. And they're always going to have, especially in the East, they're going to have two of the three best players on the floor most of the time in Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And 
it's really i think a second round exit is a disappointment like obviously like if they're the sixth seed and go to the second round people say oh like they overachieved but not for philly like if this was the pacers like sure like they like they don't have that like high-end elite level talent but philly does and I think Philly and Boston should be viewed very similarly in terms of their success this year is all yeah. I'm saying. I agree with you. I think seeding doesn't matter. I think if they make it to the West, uh, the Eastern Conference Finals, that'll be a good year for them. So mm-hmm. uh, we we have to move on now to the Phoenix Suns, a team yeah, I'm gonna that... Let you, I'm going to let you take over the Suns. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, man. It's like I feel bad for Suns fans. It's, I think... Literally what I'm going to say. But they did win both their games this year in the bubble. So, you know, could they potentially come back from... They're only down three and a half games from the Grizzlies. So as of right now, it seems like Phoenix Suns fans will get some good luck finally. I think it's hilarious the fact that TJ Warren's doing so well. But I think as of right now, the Suns are playing really well. But I just don't trust the Suns, man. It's it's the Suns. They're classic Suns. They're going to implode, become a black hole like Suns do. So... Next season, they're going to be scary. Like, I re- I really like the roster right now. And we have to keep in mind, like, they're doing this without Ubre right now. So they're missing, like, a huge piece in their perimeter rotation. But yeah, like, they beat the Mavs. They showed real guts, like, actually winning that game. Like, I definitely thought Dallas was going to come back in the fourth and just take over that game. But no, you know, they got weird minutes from Cameron Payne where he used, like, the sole source of energy javon carter came in for defense and you know hashtag valley boys the suns did their thing so be fun to see what they do i'm more excited for them next season like obviously this bubble is the most important these are the biggest games devin booker has played in his career so it's good for him good for him and deandre Ayton to get that chance and mesh and you know learn how it is to play competitive basketball but yeah that's enough of the Suns. I love their social media team, though. I think their social media team and their social media game is one of the best in the league. It's just hilarious because <laughs> they, they really are a good social media team. You know, a much better team than they are on the court. But yeah, they have a lot of potential. But, you know, well, I, I just don't think they'll, they'll live up to it. I just, you know, but that's just a personal opinion. Hopefully they will. You know, I, I'm always cheering for the Suns, dude. Always cheering for the Suns. I feel bad for that fan base. No, I know. I know you got your guy Devin Booker. D-Book's going to be your guy forever. But yeah, Suns are fun to watch. Another team that's super fun to watch now that they're all healthy is the Portland Trailblazers. And they got some huge and literally huge additions for the bubble. They got Zach Collins. They got Yusuf Durkic. They're healthy and they look good. I think they should have beaten Boston. Like Boston's very lucky to win that game, especially after Dame and Gary Trent Jr. went off in the fourth. But if I'm Portland, I just want to have a chance to play in that. Like, the, I don't care if I'm the 8th seed or the nine seed. I just want to be in that. Because once you're in the play-in tournament, I'm not betting against Portland if it's against, like, Memphis, right? Like, Dame and CJ have been to the conference finals. They were just in it last year. And they've had countless playoff battles against really, really good teams. And now that they have their entire roster healthy, and Nurkic looks like a monster, like, he has changed the entire outlook for Portland. I think they can compete with anybody. Like, they should be viewed as 
kind of like in that like three through six seed range in the West in terms of like their talent level. Obviously, like the standings don't reflect it because of like the lack of help they've had this season. But Portland is scary, man. Like I, if I had a bet, I would put it on them to make the playoffs. I think they'll for sure be the eighth or the ninth seed. I think they'll for sure go into the playoff and into the playing games. I think it's them and the the Spurs, and I think between those two teams, I think the Pel uh, the the, sorry, the Pelicans, the the Portland Trailblazers will will win, as you said with Dame and CJ. Yeah, they should have easily won that game. Not easily, but they should have won that game against the Celtics. I think they should have tied the game. I think if you give Dame the ball with those three seconds left being down by three they at least he i think he at least i think they should go to overtime just you know however good nurkic was uh you know throwing the ball out of bounds yeah not 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 the right thing to do in that scenario no it was the play before that that was very frustrating like dame they were down three and it was like eight seconds left they ran a curl play dame was coming and obviously if you're boston you're trying to foul before the shot just because you want you, you don't want dame to get a wide open three but marcus smart slipped and dame had to look at a a pretty wide open three, but I don't think he realized Smart slipped, so he slipped the pass to Nurkic for a layup. But the thing is, Portland didn't have any timeouts, and there were four seconds left in the game. So it just created a very awkward situation regardless for how the late game play would like turn out for them ultimately. But yeah, like I, I wish they executed that better, but Portland looks very good. On both ends of the ball now. Like Zach Collins shores up that defense a lot. Nurkic. It just really goes to show how much having an above average center matters still. Like when you have Hassan Whiteside starting at center versus Nurkic. There's just such a huge difference in how the team plays. I think there's just some... <laughs> there's some problems with, with, with the Trailblazers and the way they play. Like that Nurkic pass and also at one point during the game. Hassan Whiteside is standing right next to Damian Lillard, and he gives Damian Lillard a bounce pass, and the ball goes out of bounds. It's like those types of plays just embodied the Trailblazers' like season thus far. It's like you have some great players, but some of these smaller rotation guys just mess it up for you. And yeah, I mean, I hope they make it to the playoffs. I think if they do make it to the play-in game, they're gonna win regardless of the the eighth or the ninth seed. But I think. Once they become the eight seed, it's going to be very difficult for them to challenge the Lakers. I think maybe last year, it might have been a different story, but this year, no matter how supremely talented their roster is, how good they're looking, they just have this this like weird feeling about them, I'd say. like It's hard if to describe. LA, if you're LA, you don't want to see Portland round one. Yeah, you There's don't, no, but... Uh, nobody team, wants to that see That team was a conference one. finalist last year, and they have one of the top six, seven players in the league this season, at least, in Dame Lillard, and everyone sleeps on C.J. McCollum, but in the playoffs, every year he turns it up. All his stats increase. becomes very efficient. He closes games for them. So Portland's a super scary team to look out for. They have a gauntlet of a schedule coming up, but I think they can win some of those games. I think if they split those games, they'll they'll be fine. Yeah. But let's move on to another disappointing team. Sacramento Kings and I I don't know like part of me just wanted them to do well because I went to Davis and Sacramento was like the only close city nearby that mattered to us in terms of basketball and it was always fun like we, we went to a Kings game once and it was a really good experience they won and it was fun times we got something back from the arena like someone threw a rubber ball at us and we caught it so that was fun 
But yeah, the Kings have looked terrible. They need to figure out what to do with Buddy Heald, whether it is trade him, start him, because bringing him off the bench is not it. Like, it's just not working out for them. And I don't know, the Fox-Buddy pairing theoretically makes sense, but it's just not working right now. Yeah, pretty classic Sacramento Kings, honestly. Um, the the roster looks good on paper in terms of the players they have. Does not live up to the hype. Yeah, I, I don't really have anything else to say about the Kings. I think they have a terrible chance of making it thus, like for, for, for the rest of the playoffs, like or into the playoffs. I don't think they're going to make it. I think the Suns have a better chance. They're only one game or half a game behind the Suns are to the Kings. Yeah, the Kings, not not a good start to this bubble. So. We'll see. But a team that did have a good start to the bubble, the San Antonio Spurs. And everyone slept on the Spurs. Nobody thought they were going to make it, including us. Like, I still don't think they will make it. But the fact that they are the nine seed right now is remarkable. Like, they're... They made the playoffs for God knows how many years in a row. It's like 22 or something crazy like that. And if you have Greg Popovich, you have a chance. And DeRozan is playing out of his mind right now. Like, he is closing games well. He's showing good playmaking, which is something he didn't always have with Toronto. And DeJounte Murray looks great. Jakob Pertl is playing well. Uh, Lonnie Walker is finally unleashed, which is something I've been waiting for so long. But yeah, the Spurs are interesting. And they have a... Yeah, they have a tough schedule, man. Like, do you think they're going to win any of these games? I'm just going to read it out. Nuggets, Jazz... Maybe Pelicans, Rockets, and Jazz again. I think they honestly win three out of five. I think they might win four out of five. Who? Like, you think they'll beat the Jazz twice? I think they'll beat the Jazz twice. I think they'll definitely beat the Pelicans. I think they have a chance against the Nuggets. Yeah, I, I have I have faith in the Spurs. Honestly, I I have like you. I think with pop coaching, and with the way they're playing, this last loss was a bit of a disappointment, obviously, but still, I, I have immense faith in the Spurs and yeah I mean I think they'll at least make the play-in game I think they'll at least be the eighth seed or sorry the ninth seed if not the eighth seed between them and the Trailblazers you know I think it's 50-50 but I think with the way you know playoff game plays I think they're gonna have I think they'll have a better chance of making it but I think compared to how we thought coming into the bubble the Spurs have a really good shot of keeping their streak up. So, yeah, I have a lot of faith yeah, in the Spurs. I'm just happy for them and their fans. Like, they yeah. just had a rough season and Aldridge is out now, but they're okay, winning. Well, it's not like they're a fan base that's perennially, perennially suffered. They've made the playoffs 22 seasons in a row. Like, you know. Fair. Fair. This season was rough, so I'm happy they're, it's not as rough for them anymore. Yeah. But, yeah, I said what I wanted to say about the Raptors earlier. Do you have anything to add? No, honestly, I mean, I think they're, they're, I think they have the best shot in making it to, to the finals in the in the East. That's just a, a feeling I have watching them play. I think that Lakers game solidified that feeling for me. So I just think they're a really good team, and we'll see what happens. You know, we'll see what happens when they play the Bucks. We'll see what happens when they play the Sixers. If they play the Sixers without Kawhi, we'll see what happens if they play a team like the Heat or maybe in the Celtics. They don't have that single big superstar, but I think Siakam's becoming that. Have again a great supporting cast. I think you said it always just naming those seven players, and you know, those seven players maybe not all going to be all stars, but still seven really solid, dependable players. And Nick Nurse, a great, great coach, and 
yeah, overall, great coaching staff. And I think they're going to go super far. I think they're going to make the, the, the finals. But, yeah, and then we have our last team, the Wizards, which I really don't even Wait, we got the about. we have the Utah Jazz. Oh, yeah, sorry, the Wizards. I forgot about them. Everyone forgets about Utah, but it's fine. You know, I thought the Mitchell-Gobert pairing would have some issues, but that's surprisingly been, like, fine. Like, they've, they've put aside all their off-court stuff. I think they're friends again, so good for them. They look good. Mitchell closes games really well. Like, sometimes he just doesn't he, he kind of tails off in the third quarter and you forget that he's a high level scorer when he's missing like three, four shots in a row. But when it matters, he closes games well. And obviously they were just outclassed in terms of talent against the Lakers. And it didn't help that Jordan Clarkson went like two for 13 and Clarkson's been really good for them. So I'll give him a pass for that. But they squeaked out that opening bubble game win in overtime against the Pelicans, really good game. And a lot of their shortcomings were seen against the Thunder, their second game. You know, they don't have a lot of outside shooting now, especially now that Boyan Bogdanovich is out. And he was like 20 points per game guaranteed every night for them. And I think that's a huge loss. Yeah, I think their the game against the Thunder was the most telling. Because in the game against the Pelicans, the, the Pelicans played super well in the first half. But I think, you know, they were able to come back, the Jazz were. And they were way more talented the Pelicans and they dominated the paint, you know, which you have Gobert and also Pelicans have an interior defense. But that Thunder game, I thought was really telling. The Thunder kind of controller from the start, and it was kind of a blowout, honestly. The game against the Lakers today, like, I think the one thing about the Jazz is I don't expect them to make the Western Conference Finals. Like, I think against a team like the the Clippers or the Lakers, that they're not gonna and. Even the Rockets and honestly, even the Thunder, they're they're just not they they, they cannot compete. They have a, a seemingly talented roster on paper. They're missing a few pieces here and there, but I just don't think they have what it takes to make it that far. So, yeah, the wasteful Washington Wizards. Like I, the NBA did not need to invite them. I think they just did because of mathematics, and they weren't technically out of the eight spot. The Wizards suck. Like I, what else do you have? Like. Rui Hachimura looks decent. Troy Brown Jr. looks decent. Thomas Bryant playing Thomas really Bryant. well. Playing he's really well. Good. He's been good for a while now. Like he's he's slept on, underrated. Yeah, I, I don't have anything to say about the Wizards. Better luck next year with John Wall and Bradley Beal, I guess. Yeah, but I mean that about wraps up our NBA bubble so far review, and I guess kind of playoff preview. We'll see what happens in the Western Conference uh, with regards to who's going to make it. Again, my prediction is I think the 8th and ninth seeds will be the Blazers and the Spurs. Shreed, do you have a prediction for our listeners? I think it's going to be Memphis-Portland. I don't think Memphis loses every single game. Yeah. I mean, they are only two games behind the Spurs, so we'll see what happens. But lots of exciting basketball left to be played. I think every single game, almost every single game, especially games that didn't involve the Wizards or the Nets, has been super interesting. Really excited to see some amazing matchups coming up. And as the playoffs start to roll around, we'll see what the storylines are there. But thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Locked In Podcast. Feel free to follow us on Instagram, podcast.lockedin. We will keep you guys updated on all the latest news with regards to our podcast. And we're going to hopefully give you guys some fun along the way with some interesting polls, questions, trivia. We have some cool upcoming episodes coming out. So 
be sure to stay tuned and check those out. And as always, stay safe and wash your hands. Wash your hands, people. Peace. I'm telling y'all, man, the sports knowledge is too extensive.